Well, good morning, everyone. If you would open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you for this day. The day that you have given to us and appointed as a day of worship. Where we can meet together with our brothers and our sisters. And one more time hear the glorious gospel of Christ our Savior. Father, I pray you'd bless us. We thank you for giving us this opportunity in this place. We thank you for bringing us here this morning and allowing us to be here. And Father, I pray that you'd also bless us with your presence, the presence of your spirit, and give us a, a true heart of worship. Let us hear of Christ our Savior in awe and in wonder. Wonder that someone as wonderful as he is do something so glorious for people as wretched and vile as we are. Father, give us faith to believing and to trusting. Father, I pray that you would bless me as I preach, that you would give me of your spirit, enable me to rightly divide the word of truth and to preach the gospel with a heart of love, love for thee and love for your people. And Father, give your people a, a believing heart, a hearing ear, enable us to to hear and learn more of Christ our Savior. But we pray for ourselves. We pray especially for our children's classes right now. Father, we thank you for our teachers. Pray that you bless them. How we thank you for our children. Father, bless them in this time. Use this time to, to plant the seeds of faith in their heart. And Father, we pray your mercy upon them. Spiritually and physically. Oh, that you'd be merciful to them. Protect them, protect their minds and their hearts and their bodies from this wicked generation in which they grow up. And also, Father, what we pray for ourselves, we pray for your people everywhere who are meeting together today to worship. Bless your word where it's preached. And Father, all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. I've titled our lesson this morning, A Message from the Empty Tomb. We're going to look this morning at the resurrection of Christ. And if you think about this, the resurrection of Christ is the most significant event in human history. Maybe that's, that's not what you would have thought right off, but, it, but that's true. The, the resurrection of Christ from the tomb is the most significant event in human history for this reason. All of the purpose of God concerning the redemption of his people would fail if Christ is not raised from the dead. God's election of a people would be meaningless. Christ's death would be meaningless unless Christ both died and rose again from the grave. The birth of Christ, isn't that a miracle? What a miracle that God was born in, in human flesh. The righteousness of Christ. His perfect obedience to the law. That, that's a miracle. Nobody else has ever produced such an obedience. And the death of Christ. That he could die and who he would die for. Great miracle. But all of that is meaningless. Unless Christ is raised from the tomb. Our doctrine. 
our preaching, our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ, it's all empty and it's all vain unless Christ arose from the dead. Our hope of glory is an empty hope unless Christ arose from the dead. Because if Christ did not rise from the dead, his death did not satisfy God's justice. Let me show you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. <clears throat> now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you, there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we're found false witnesses of God, because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So the resurrection of Christ is vital to our salvation, isn't it? There's no gospel for us to preach. There's no good news for us to preach unless Christ arose from the dead. And if you look over at John chapter 11, the resurrection of Christ is so vital that the resurrected Christ, him personally, is our hope of life. John 11, verse 23. This is when our Lord is speaking with Martha at the tomb of her brother Lazarus. And Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So, you know, the resurrected Christ, he is. That is our, all of our hope of eternal life. And, you know, you read in, in the, um, mostly, I guess, in, in the book of Acts, but you read other places where it's recorded what the apostles preached. They preached the resurrection of Christ in almost every message that is recorded in, in Scripture. They stressed the resurrection of Christ so strongly because that's the basis of the good news of the gospel and they would die rather than deny the resurrection. And that made me think, I hope that we stress the resurrection of Christ in our preaching too because we have no good news for sinners unless Christ arose from the dead. So let's look here beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, I don't know a lot about these two Marys, but I know this. They were faithful ladies. They were faithful. They were the last two to leave the tomb of our Savior. They watched Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus put him in the tomb and rolled the stone and they left. And those two ladies watched and then they left. They were the last two to leave the tomb. And they're first to arrive at the tomb. 
As soon as the Sabbath ended and they were allowed to walk and go, you know, on the Sabbath you couldn't take so many steps and all those things. As soon as the Sabbath ended and the law allowed them to walk that far, they walked to the tomb. They were the first ones to be there at the tomb. And they were the first ones to hear from the Lord too. Look at verse 5. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. (laughs) Now both the angel and the Lord told these faithful ladies, Go tell my disciples that I'm risen from the dead. These ladies were sent with a message to someone in particular, a message from the empty tomb, to tell his disciples the Lord's risen. I have four points that I want us to see, four points on a message of the empty tomb. What does it mean to us that the Lord arose from the tomb? I'm telling you, it means all good news. That's what it means. First of all, the empty tomb declares glorious Savior and a glorious salvation. Look up at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. (laughs) Now the glory of this angel who came as great earthquake and the angel came and rolled the stone back and he's sitting there on that stone the glory of this angel was so bright you you couldn't look at him it's like looking at at lightning he shines so brightly now that glory made the unbeliever afraid didn't it made him play possum like they were dead but it didn't make the believers afraid now it filled them with reverence it filled them with awe but they they didn't need to be afraid the angel told them verse 5 And the angel answered and said to the women, Fear not ye. There's no reason for you to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now isn't all that a good picture of gospel preaching? You know, our gospel is not just dry facts and figures about who the Lord Jesus Christ is and how he accomplished a legal transaction with the Father and and, you know got all these, these ducks in a row between him and the Father. The gospel... Is not facts and figures. It's not accounting. The gospel declares a glorious salvation. It declares that to the heart. To the heart. The gospel declares a glorious Savior. And when the gospel is preached right, it ought to be awe-inspiring. Just awe-inspiring. I mean, I know we're not because we're in the flesh, but we really should be so awestruck every single time we hear the gospel, that we just sit in silent wonder at hearing 
who the Lord Jesus Christ is, his glory, his person, and what he did for somebody like me. <laughs> to think of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he did for no-count sinners, that's the most glorious story that's ever been told. The fact that the Son of God would suffer and die so that he could could take the likes of you and me and make us the righteousness of God in Him. That He would do that for us. It's more glorious than than human language can express. I mean, I feel a little silly trying to talk about it because we don't have words to express the glory of this. You think how glorious it is that God the Father would even conceive of such a salvation for us. (laughs) That He would even conceive it. You think how glorious it is that God himself would do all of the work to purchase this salvation, to establish this salvation, and give it to sinners freely. Not good people, but sinners. You think how glorious it is that the Father would slaughter his own son in the worst way imaginable so that he could give salvation to sinners freely, make them righteous by his death for them, so that justice would be satisfied for them, and there's no no way that they could perish, because God's justice is satisfied. That's so glorious. I mean, it just is glorious that the Holy Spirit enables people to hear the gospel and to believe it. The flesh thinks this is foolishness. But the fact that you can hear another sinful man preach Christ and believe Christ in spite of the sin, sin, sinful man, in spite of his weaknesses and, and his tongue-tiedness and still believe on Christ, that's so glorious. Isn't it glorious that you love someone you've never seen with fleshly eyes? I've been to Madisonville, Kentucky a few times when Brother Maurice Montgomery was pastor and I would use his study to go over my notes and, and prepare for the uh, message and he had an empty frame hanging over hit the doorway in his study and there was a sign beside it whom having not seen ye love. Isn't that amazing that you love somebody you've never seen with fleshly eyes? I know you see him with the eyes of faith. That's why you love him. That's why you believe him but Now that's glorious. And one of my big, big concerns for this congregation is that we never become lukewarm about the gospel simply because we've heard it so many times. I don't know that there's a group of people that's been more blessed of God to be able to hear the gospel for this many years over and over and over again. I mean good preaching. And I hope we just never think, well, that's just another one of the many messages, you know, that I've heard. And it's not glory. I've heard that before, so it's not glorious to us. This ought to be a glorious, glorious message. Well, it is. It ought to be preached that way, shouldn't it? It ought to be heard that way. All right, number two. The message of the empty tomb is that the law has been put away. I've never thought about this before, but... Look at this in verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene 
and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. In the end of the Sabbath, now up to the death of Christ, the law of Moses was in full effect. Our Savior obeyed the law perfectly. He went through every ceremony. He obeyed every law. All this was in full effect. But now, Christ has died. And he's risen. The law is finished. His death, his resurrection put an end to the law. The Lord showed us that when he gave up the ghost on the cross. What happened in the temple? The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Used to be you couldn't come in that. Only, only the high priest could come in there on the appointed day, one day a year, on the day of atonement. And he had to come with blood. Now you can walk in there anytime you want. It's torn from top to bottom. A tall sinner, a short sinner. A skinny sinner, a fat sinner. Anybody. Anybody with the need can come straight to the throne. Well, here we see the, the, the end of the Sabbath. This is the last Sabbath. And I think it's interesting how it's written. In the end of the Sabbath. It doesn't say in the end of, of that Sabbath day. This is the end of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is over. Keeping a day is over. There's going to be no more days kept anymore. No more Sabbath days. No more Passover days. No more days of atonement. No more days of the Feast of the Tabernacle. No more days of all these days that they had. The days are over. Now we have the beginning of the Sabbath of faith. No more days. Now we have the beginning of rest. Rest in Christ. Not a physical rest that the law required. Faith in Christ. Rest in Christ that the heart craves. You know, the old law forbid these ladies to come to the tomb on Saturday. But now the Sabbath is ended. Not just this one day. All Sabbaths are ended. And they are free to come to God anytime they want. Used to be that priest went into the, the Holy of Holies with blood full of fear and trembling. If he got one of these steps wrong, he didn't do something right, God's going to kill him. What if he started crawling under that veil and forgot to bring the blood with him? He, he had it, and I could see me doing that. Don't you? I could see me start kind of having my little basin of blood there, and I'd forget it. God would wipe him out. Fear. Now, the Lord said, fear not. Fear not. Come anytime. Come to the throne of grace anytime you want. Anytime that you have need. You can offer the sacrifices of praise anytime you want. Before you had to go take the animal and the whatever was going to be sacrificed and give it to the priest and the priest would sacrifice it for you. Now you offer the sacrifice of praise anytime you want. Because Christ the Lamb has been slain. And He's raised from the dead. You come bring the sacrifice of praise anytime you want. There's no more need for a priest after the order of Aaron. We have a high priest. And he's seated on the right hand of the throne. The majesty on high. Now, the law is done. You can walk anywhere you want on Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath day. You can walk any, anywhere you want. The Sabbath law even said how many sticks you can pick up. You can pick up as many sticks as you want. It's fall and the leaves are falling, some branches. Saturday, clean your yard all you want. The law is finished. The law is finished. Nothing is forbidden for the believer under the law. Just come rest in Christ. The law requires no work, no deeds, nothing for you to do. 
rest. Rest in Christ. That Sabbath day had only been a picture of Christ. And I can just imagine, I don't know about adults. I always used to think about this as, as a child. When I was a, a little guy, and uh, we lived in, in Danville, I had a basketball goal set up on, Dad put it up over top of the, the carport. And uh, as soon as we got home on Sunday, and uh, and we ate, and washed up the dishes. Always had to wash Jonathan didn't. Me and Becky had to wash the dishes always. Sorry, but it's true. <laughs> you know what I'd do? I'd go play basketball. I'd just shoot that thing. I'd shoot baskets till mom and dad say time to, you know, get dressed, go to church again for, for Sunday night. And it, I really I did really think this. I thought I'm so thankful that law is done. How horrible was that for some little boy, some little girl? They just, all oh, they want, they just want to go play. They got so full of energy, they just want to run, and you couldn't do it. The Sabbath law made you rest, and nobody wanted to do it. Now, come rest in Christ. I know the flesh still doesn't want to do it. The flesh still wants to earn our way to God. We want to not work in any other way, don't we? We, we wish we could win the lottery, not go to work. But boy, we want to work our way to heaven. Come rest in Christ. We don't have the picture anymore. We have the real thing. Let your heart rest from fear of judgment. Rest from that fear in Christ. Let your heart have spiritual rest. You don't have to keep the law for God to be happy with you. Just rest in Christ. And you'll be accepted in the Beloved. That's what the believer, that, that we trust Christ, so we rest in Him. And that's what the empty tomb tells us. Quit trying to earn your way to God and rest. Just rest in Christ, who's finished the work for us. All right, here's the third thing. Boy, this is glorious. Remember, I told you the gospel's glorious. The message of the empty tomb is this. The sin of God's elect is gone. Here's how we know the sin of God's elect is gone. Christ rose from the grave. That's how we know that. At the cross, the Father made His Son sin. All of the sin of all of His people. That enormous, black, vile mass was all on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason Christ died on the cross. Sin demands death. The only way Christ could die if he, if, is if he had been made guilty of that sin. And his death, his suffering and his death, put that sin away. When he said it's finished, brother, it's finished. Sin is finished. The law is finished. It's finished. The blood of his sacrifice washed his sinful people white as snow. Without sin. And that sounds too fantastic to believe, but the, death, but the resurrection of Christ is the proof. His death put away the sin of his people. Sin is gone, so the grave can't hold him. Look at Romans chapter 4. I know probably everybody here can quote this, but let's look at it because this, I mean, you know, I want you to know this is not just Frank saying this. This is what the Word of God says. Romans 4, verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses. 
and raised again for our justification. Christ was made sin for us. He, he, all of our offenses was, was put on him. His death put it away. The proof of that is he's raised again. As evidence, he justified his people from their sin. Now that message needs to be preached as a glorious, glorious message of comfort and assurance. It's not to be preached arguing about justification and righteousness and being made sin and being made righteous. The, the gospel is not to be preached arguing that. The gospel is to, is to be preached declaring it. If you believe Christ, if Christ died for you, your sin is gone. Now quit your fear. Quit fear. You don't have to fear death. I mean, I know there's an uncertainty about death, about the death of these bodies, because we've never done it. We've never experienced it, have we? But there's no reason for the believer to fear it. There's no reason for the believer to fear facing God in judgment. Christ has already been judged for you. God is satisfied with you. Christ died and rose again for you. Now I know we still sin, don't we? After the Lord saves us, after we're converted, we still sin. We never quit sinning. And for the believer, that's very grievous. I mean, oh, we hate it. It's worse to sin after we know the Lord. After the Lord's been merciful to us, it's worse to sin then than before we ever even knew anything about the Lord. Because now... We're sinning against somebody we know and love. We don't want to do that. The believer hates that. And it's discouraging. I grant you, it's, it's discouraging. And it's shameful. I mean, I just, for my own self, that's so shameful. How can you think that? How can you want to do that? How can you do that? How can you that's, say that's so shameful? And it is discouraging. And it is shameful. It ought to be. But there's no reason to fear because of it. There's no reason to fear the Father is now going to cast you out Yes, he sent his son to die for you and Christ died and shed his blood for you and he, and he rose again for you. But now you, you've just gone too far. I mean, this is one sin too many. How can you sin against this, this, this light that God's given you and he's going to cast you out? You never have to fear that because Christ died for all of the sin of all of his people. And his resurrection is the proof he justified them all so that they have no sin. Sinners are saved by grace. Not what we do, not what we don't do. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by Christ who finished the work for us. And the proof of that is in our text. Who did the angel tell these two Marys to go to and tell the Lord's risen? Verse 7. Go quickly. And tell his disciples. Tell him he's risen from the dead. And, and behold. He goes before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him. Lo I've told you. You go tell this message Mary. Tell this message of the forgiveness of sin. To his disciples. They didn't come to the tomb that morning. Where were they? They were hiding out. In case they got treated the way their master got treated. They didn't want to get scourged and beaten and crucified they're hiding out they all ran away they all swore all oh, lord i'll die with you and when they saw what was happening to the lord they fled they acted like they had no faith at all they acted like they hadn't been taught anything 
And what is the message to those poor, weak disciples? Go tell them the Lord's risen and I'll see you in Galilee. The Lord himself said that. Look at, at, at verse 9. And as they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, oh, they did run. This, this is a glorious thing. They ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. There shall they see me. <laughs> the Lord himself said, Go tell my weak, doubting, forgetful disciples they're my brethren. <laughs> they're my brethren. I still love them. I know what they did. But sinners are saved by grace. Sinners are saved by Christ. Not your faithfulness. And not your word. And not your knowledge. Now I know you understand this. There's no excuse for our sin. I'm not making excuse for our sin whatsoever. I'm determined every day not to sin. And I fail before I even get out of bed. But it sure is a comfort when we do sin. To know we have an advocate with the Father. And our advocate with the Father is the very one that paid the price for us. And he rose again. So he knows best I paid the price. Their sin is forgiven. What a comfort. And here's the last thing. The message of the empty tomb is this. We're going to rise from the grave again someday too. There's no reason to fear the grave. You know, the death of Christ made the grave a pleasant place for our bodies to rest until Christ returns. Now our bodies will be resting in the grave, but we, our souls, will be with the Lord until He returns. I talked to a man one time that believed in soul sleep, like you just die and then you are no more, you know, until Christ returns. No. First Thessalonians 4 tells us this, when Christ returns, those who've already died, He brings with Him our souls will be with the Lord. Our bodies are just going to be resting in the grave. And when the Lord returns, that soul that's with the Lord is going to be joined to a resurrected body. It's going to be resurrected in a glorious body, just like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grave could not hold the disciple, or the Lord, it couldn't hold his grave anymore, or his body. And it won't be able to hold ours either. Sin's gone. Those bodies must be raised in glorious bodies, just like the body of our Lord. He's the first fruits. And there's many, many more to follow. I think if you look over at 1 Corinthians 15, this is the best way, I think, to, uh, to end this message on the resurrection and hear from the Word of God on this matter. See if this isn't what... I told you. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. 
It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it? That was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.